All right. Well, our second scripture reading today comes from the Gospel of Matthew. We are in chapter 25. We're going to look at verses 31 through 46. And you can find that in your pew Bibles on page 1542. Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, When did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger, or needing clothes, or or sick or in prison, and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Thus ends our reading of God's authoritative word. May all who hear it find that they have been placed on Christ's right. I don't know about you, but I think probably the hardest people to buy gifts for are my parents. And the reason it's so hard is because they're, they're at a stage in their lives where they really don't need anything and anything they want, they just get it themselves, you know? So, so how do you shop for, for someone who already has everything that they need and everything that they want? I think the key is in finding that perfect gift is in understanding their heart. What it is that they hold most dear. For once you know that, then you will be able to express your love to them by allowing that, that which is most precious to them to shape your gift. We are now at the end of the Olivet Discourse. When Jesus was asked two questions by his disciples. If you recall, Jesus had told these men that that God's judgment was coming. That the temple was going to be torn down, not one stone left on another. 
And so they asked him, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So they wanted to know the timing and the events that would take place that would warn them to flee. Christ then gave them this grand apocalyptic vision of of what would occur in their generation. He he told them that there would be troubles in this world. He, he, He told them things such as earthquakes and famines and wars and rumors of wars would take place and that and that false messiahs would use these things use these trials that came their way in order to lead people astray and yet for those who remained faithful those who followed Jesus they as their reward would be persecuted because of their witness of him that as they proclaimed the gospel message, the world around them, to, to, to the people around them, that those people would hate them for it and thus treat them harshly. And yet in all these things that Jesus mentioned, none of them would be the sign that they were to look for. Rather, the sign would be the approaching armies that would, be, that would surround Jerusalem. And that when they saw this sign... Then they should flee to the mountains that God had prepared for them as a refuge, as a safe haven from the coming destruction. But as to the exact timing of God's judgment, only the Father knew. And that is why they must keep watch. And of course, Jesus then instructed his followers through the use of five parables on what keeping watch looks like. First, there was a parable of the the homeowner and the thief where the homeowner did not know when the thief would come. He was ignorant. In the same way, because of their ignorance concerning the timing of Christ's judgment, Jesus' disciples must be prepared. And the only way to do this is by trusting in his words and listening to his words. For keeping watch means keeping the faith. And then there was a parable of the the lazy and wicked servant, a man who did not do what his master had asked him to do. And the reason he didn't do it, because he told himself, my master is staying away a long time. He had no sense of urgency and was therefore caught off guard when his master did come back. But the wise and the faithful servant is the one who begins his work from day one. For keeping watch also means having a sense of urgency. And then there was a parable of the wedding banquet, where we we saw five wise virgins and five foolish virgins. And if you remember, it it was the foolish ones who did not think to bring any extra oil for their lamps. Well, the bridegroom was a long time in coming, and the oil of these foolish virgins ran out, and along with it, so did their flames. And because of this, they missed the bridegroom's arrival and thus found themselves shut out of the wedding feast. In a similar fashion, keeping watch requires a life of enduring patience. As Christians, we must wait upon the Lord no matter what our circumstances are. For while God is good and his promises are certain, his timing is not always what we would choose. We must have enduring patience. And then last time we we looked at the parable of the talents. 
And we saw that, that there were three servants, each entrusted with large sums of money as their master went away on this journey. And two of these servants, they viewed their master as both kind and generous. And as a, as a result, they, they worked hard for him to double their master's money. They loved their master, and so they sought his happiness. But then there was that third servant who, who viewed his master as a hard man and as a bit self-serving. And rather than being faithful to what his master had commanded him to do and with what he had blessed him with, he instead just dug a hole and hid his master's money. He, he didn't care about pleasing his master, but, but thought only about his own happiness. Well, when that master returned, the, those first two servants, they found themselves blessed. They were able to share in their master's happiness. But it was that third servant who found himself cast out as the master used that servant's own words to condemn him. Likewise, as as Christ's disciples who are commanded to keep watch, what we discover is that it can only be done if a person desires to please God, if they seek His happiness. But therein lies the question, am I right? How does one please a God who has no needs? How does a person bring happiness to the only one who, who, who truly doesn't require anything? This is where our last parable comes into play. For Jesus wants his disciples to know how it is that they can bring him joy. Let's see what Jesus has to say. Look at, look at our first few verses. Look at verses 31 through 33. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another, as a, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Now, a typical motif of Jewish apocalyptic writings, what you would find towards the end of these writings would be this transition from a, a, a localized judgment to a cosmic conclusion where, where all of creation would be before the throne of God in order to be weighed and measured. And this is exactly what we are seeing in this last parable. For, for we are going from, from a judgment upon Israel and specifically Jerusalem to a scene where all nations are now standing before God. And whereas the previous parables, they, they hinted at this, it is in this last one where it becomes explicit. For we see the Son of Man coming in glory, and all the angels are with him. And we find him seated high upon his throne in heavenly splendor. Now just as an aside, I, I hope you notice that it is none other than the Son of Man, than Jesus Christ himself who is on this judgment seat. Think about that. Don't you ever let anyone tell you that Jesus never claimed to be God. Those who think that way know nothing of what the scriptures say or how to read it properly. The fact that Jesus ascribes for himself this throne is, is tantamount to him saying, I am Yahweh. 
For what is described is that last day when all creation is at God's feet in order to be judged. Jesus sits as king on high. No longer is his glory veiled. And he has come to judge the nations. And what do we see in this particular scene? We see that there are both sheep and there are goats. And so the question we must ask is what does Christ mean by this? What's with the sheep and the goats? In ancient Israel, a shepherd would often herd sheep and goats together. They, they would graze the same land and often intermingle throughout the day. But at night, when the, when the temperature dropped, these animals would have to be separated. You see, the, the, the sheep with their thick wool had, had a natural defense against the cold. But goats, on the other hand, you know, what kind of fur do they have? That's very short and stubby and hard. And so what they do is they often huddle together in order to keep warm. And this is the picture that Jesus is painting for us. This separation at the end of the day of a shepherd. But we need to read a little bit more in order to find out what Jesus really means. Look at, look at verses 34 through 36. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Here we see the judgment of the sheep. And Jesus tells us that they are blessed. That they have God's favor. And that their inheritance is the kingdom. Those new heavens and new earth that have been designed specifically for them. What, what joyous news this is. For they have been recognized as God's people and included in his kingdom. And they have an inheritance like none other. They truly are richly blessed. But why are they blessed? What, is, what does Jesus tell us? Because they came to their king's aid when he was in need. Now you may be asking yourself, how, how can Jesus, the God of the universe, the creator of all things, ever be in need? That just doesn't make sense. Well, these sheep were wondering the same thing. Look, look, at, look at verse 37. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and, and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Whatever you did for the, one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Once again, we have come to a passage of Scripture when, that when it's taken out of context, it often gets misread and misinterpreted. 
The, the context is the Olivet Discourse. The, the context is keeping watch during times of trouble and persecution. The context is sheep and goat who get separated under Christ's judgment. And so when Jesus uses the words, least of these brothers of mine, he is referring not to just anyone, but to a specific people. The people of God. These are his disciples. Look at Matthew 10, verse 46. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. When Jesus speaks of the least of these brothers of mine, he is referring to the body of Christ, those who are truly his disciples. But not just any disciples, but those who have found themselves in hard, hard circumstances. Those who face hunger and thirst. Those who need shelter and clothing. Those who are sick or imprisoned. But why are they this way? What could possibly cause them to be in such distress? I can think of no one else in Scripture who fits this description more than the Apostle Paul. Listen to Paul's word as he compares himself to the so-called super-apostles in his letter to the Corinthians. Look at 2 Corinthians 11, verses 22 through 28. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent the night and a day in, in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. And then listen to this. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything, I face the daily pressure of, the, of my concern for all the churches. What Paul is describing here is his life as a gospel preacher. As an evangelist. These were the hardships that he faced. Hunger. Thirst. Homelessness. Nakedness. Sickness. And imprisonment. This was the cost of being on mission for Christ. And Paul wasn't the only one who, who faced such trials. Many in the early church suffered because of their faith. 
And because of their suffering, they needed to rely on the assistance of other believers to make it through. Some were mocked. Others were beaten. Some, some had their property confiscated. Others had their businesses taken from them. Because of their witness for Jesus Christ, many had become poor and destitute. And in our parable for today, we, we, we see that it is Jesus who identifies with these men and women. I mean, think about what we read earlier in the book of Acts, of, of Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus. Before he was a Christian, he went by the name of Saul. And Saul was one of the more prominent Jewish leaders in all of Israel, a, a Pharisee of Pharisees who himself was persecuting the church. And yet it was Christ who confronted this man in order to rescue him. But do you remember what it was that Christ had said to him? Look again at Acts 9. Look at verses 4 and 5. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now notice that, that Jesus didn't ask him, why are you persecuting my church? He asked him, why are you persecuting me? Jesus identifies with his people through their suffering. He is right there suffering alongside them. He was with John when he was being flogged. He was with Peter as he was sitting in prison. And he was with Stephen as he was being stoned to death. And yet, in the same way that Jesus is with those who are being persecuted, he is also with them as they are being comforted and shown great compassion. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Dear friends, what is being described here in the sheep are those who have proven that they have received the message of Jesus by looking after Jesus' messengers. Christ had sent his prophets and his wise men and his teachers to these people, and they had taken them in and cared for them because they had believed the good news that was preached, and it changed their lives. No longer did they live for themselves, but they lived for Jesus. And as a result, they loved the things that Jesus loved, namely his servants. A great description of what this looks like can be found in the book of Hebrews. Look at Hebrews 10, verse 32. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering, sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. 
At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting promises. What is described here is a people who had received the message with joy, even though they were under heavy, heavy persecution. They trusted in Jesus Christ, in his death upon the cross for the forgiveness of their sins, and in his victorious resurrection that promises eternal life to all who believe. You see, they knew that they had, they had better and lasting possessions. And because of that, they were willing to suffer and to receive God's message. And yet it was through that suffering that their love for one another grew. They took care of the least of these brothers, of the least of these sisters. And that is the point. For keeping watch means receiving Christ by receiving his messengers. Let me ask you, do you want to please God? Do you you want to know what he finds most precious? Do you want to know what he holds dear to his heart? His heart is for his people who are following his will. Who are bringing the good news to lost souls, even if that means that they will have to suffer. And the question that you must ask yourself is this. Are you willing to to help them in this task? Will you receive them, even if that means that you will have to suffer alongside them? Listen, we, we live in a nation where persecution is not the norm. At least not to the extent that we are reading here. But that doesn't mean that there aren't those who are suffering for Christ. It just takes a different form. Think of the, the high, schooler, high schooler who is putting her reputation on the line by starting up a Bible study in her school. Or what about the teacher who loses his job because he, he, he won't cave to the secular demands of, of an ungodly school board? Or how about the heavy scrutinization and immense peer pressure that pretty much every Christian faces when they go to a college campus. There are many in our nation who are consistently turning the other cheek as they try to be a witness for Jesus Christ. And so we must ask ourselves, how are we as a church going to look after these folks? How are we going to support them in their time of need? Or better yet, think about our missionaries. These are men and women who have given up many of the comforts that we take for granted. And the reason they do so is so that they can enter this hostile environment in order to preach Jesus to those who have never met him. How can we aid them in their work? Are you willing to give to them? Are you willing to pray for them? Are you willing to to send them letters encouraging them in their gospel ministry? Dear friends, understand this. Each and every time you are able to sacrifice for such people, you are not only doing it for them, but you are also doing it for Jesus Christ. For he is right there with them. But what about the goats? 
What about those whom Jesus put on his left? Look at verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or, or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Here we see Christ's judgment upon the goats. And once again, Jesus is identifying with those who suffer for the gospel. But instead of receiving these men, along with their message, these goats ignored those who were before him and any of the needs that they may have had. In essence, they rejected the least of these, and in so doing, they rejected Jesus. And as if on cue, we once again witness a shock on the part of these people. Lord, when did we see you hungry? When did we see you thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick? When did we see you in prison? They, 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 they simply cannot imagine that they would have, wouldn't have helped their Lord if they had seen him in such misery. You see, when it comes to the goats, none of them think that they are a bad person. None of them could possibly imagine that, that they could have done anything so wicked that they would be sentenced to hell. Perhaps they had given to the poor. Maybe they had sheltered the homeless and fed the hungry. Yet they didn't do those things for Jesus because they had rejected him as they rejected his messengers. They rejected the gospel message. This harkens us back to, to Matthew 10 when, when Jesus had sent out the 12. Look, look at verses 9 through 15. Do not take any gold or silver or copper in your belts. Take no bag for the journey or extra tunic or sandals or a staff for the worker, for, for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search for some worthy person there and stay at his house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that home or town. I tell you the truth, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. I'm sure the people of these towns that, that rejected Christ's disciples thought that they were good, God-fearing citizens. But when it came to the message of the kingdom, they did not want to hear it. And so they would not receive Christ's messengers. And in so doing, would not receive Christ himself. Jesus tells us that it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah than for them. Think about that. 
And this is what we read about in our passage. Look at, look at the last verse. Look at verse 46. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Dear friends, how you receive Christ's messengers is a direct reflection on how you receive Christ himself. For they do, they do not speak on their own behalf, but on behalf of their king. They are his ambassadors. And if you are going to keep watch, it means that you need to receive Christ by taking care of his messengers. For they are the ones who are bringing the good news of salvation. And this may mean that, that, that you might have to suffer right alongside them. It may mean that you may have to sacrifice some of your own comforts. But isn't your master worth it? Isn't the kindness that he has shown you far, far greater? Listen, there will come a day when Jesus will separate the sheep from the goats. And trust me, you don't want to be on Christ's left. Make sure your faith in him is genuine. Therefore, keep watch by looking after the needs of his messengers. Let us pray. Father, I feel that because of the comfortable lives that we live in America, we struggle to fully grasp the meaning of this parable. Because of our freedoms, we don't understand what can be taken from us. We, we can only see a glimpse of what you're trying to communicate here. That is why we need your Holy Spirit. We need him to illumine our hearts and our minds. We need him to open our eyes so that we might see your son. See Jesus and the, and the messengers that you bring our way. Help us to see their needs so that we can aid them in their tasks. And help us to believe the good news that they bring us. For Jesus truly is our only hope. We ask that you would turn us into sheep and not goats. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.